Hello everybody, welcome back. Well, at least I would hope that you would say welcome back since I've been absent from most of my recording habits for about a week. And I do apologize, there were a lot of important matters that I had to take care of, but we are back and we are going to hit the ground running. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 16. And no, this isn't the Romans study, but this is a very pertinent part of our home church movement. From Romans chapter 16, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I've gotten a lot of questions recently about how to become a deacon or lay leader in the Catacomb Synod. For those who aren't familiar, the Catacomb Synod is our house church movement. It is the proper Lutheran response to authorities and theologians and pastors going bad. It is the proper response to lockdowns and everything else that has resulted in so many people being unable to go to church, or being surrounded by churches that no real Christian would want to go to in the first place. That's us. That's the Catacomb Synod. Now that said, it's a house church movement, and I am a very firm believer. Before we get into anything about deacons and lay leaders, I'm an extremely firm believer that the individual congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. I agree with Georg Sverdrup about this. This is incredibly important because I would be the guy that causes division, according to St. Paul, if I start breathing down your neck telling you how to do church. If I start pounding my desk with my fist and going, rah, 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 you have to do it my way, it's my way or the highway. I have just caused division. I have just told every single house church that you either submit to my authority or, well, you're out. And I don't have the authority to do that. Lord, preserve me from the kind of judgment that would result from that kind of behavior. Truth be told, while I might be a teacher, and I am an ordained minister, I might be a preacher, I am not the ultimate authority over you. God is. And he translates that through his word. Everything must be according to the word of God. So, if a house church says, we have decided this guy is going to be our deacon, here is what we want from him. We believe he is qualified according to Holy Scripture in order to fulfill the duties of that office, then okay. I can't stop you. I would hope that you are rigorous in making sure that this man is supported and properly trained and even rewarded for his efforts as your deacon, as your lay leader. Absolutely. 
And that's between you and him, not between you and me. But that might leave some house churches feeling high and dry, like they are left out on the curb to find out their own way. And it would be wrong of me to say that that's your situation. No, I am supposed to serve you. I am here for your benefit as your servant. And that means if you feel like you need assistance, if you want my input on something, or you would like me to personally train a deacon or lay leader, I am here to do that for you as well, if you would like. You can say, well, thanks for the resources, Pastor. Thank you for the sermons and the manuscripts. Thank you for coming out with all these liturgies and everything. Cool. Great job. Um, that's all. That's it. Don't worry about us from here on out. All right. Fine. But if you tell me, this guy's a really good candidate, but he doesn't know where to start, can you help me? Can you point him in the right direction? And can you give us maybe a rubric for what a deacon ought to know. Well then absolutely, I am here for that, if you need my assistance. So before we get into any of the specifics on this, please do not hesitate to email me, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com, if you would like assistance, if you have questions. I know sometimes it can take me a bit to answer an email. Sorry about the delays for people who are waiting for a response to a question they had. But I do my best to actually get back to people and give them the answers they need. If you would like assistance in setting up your house church and figuring these things out, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email and we'll see what we can do to help. But now, on to the specifics. If somebody says, I don't feel qualified to be a deacon... I don't feel qualified to be a lay leader, but I want to be one. I want to get there. Well, good. You desire a good work that God rewards. You're desiring to be a leader that should be honored by his fellow Christians for the efforts he puts in. Now, that said, the very first thing you want to take a look at then is what Scripture has to say on the matter. And that means looking to 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the 8th verse, to take a look at the prerequisites for somebody to become a deacon. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Already I'm going to hear two things. The first of it is a question of whether or not you have to be married to be a deacon. Well, no. It's preferred. But if we look here at the 12th verse, it says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Utilizing the Greek word estoson for to let. It's a conjugation of the word to be, a me. Estoson means Hey, this is not only permitted, but I command you, St. Paul says, 
to permit this, to allow them to be married. There is no clerical celibacy for a deacon, and in fact, they ought to be married if they can. If a single man wants to be a deacon, that is perfectly fine, so long as he understands the moral qualities that are necessary to be dignified. You know what dignity means. Take a shower. Have some self-confidence. Have some self-esteem to where you actually take care of yourself. Not double-tongued. Don't be a liar. Not addicted to much wine. Do not be a substance abuser. Not greedy for dishonest gain. If the house church decides to provide some sort of salary or some sort of monetary recompense for the efforts of their deacon, that is perfectly fine. But he should not be greedy for it, whether honestly or dishonestly. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You must know your stuff. A deacon must read his Bible every single day, and he must be confident in what he believes. Because that house church, they are going to go to you first for any questions in the faith that they may have. That is how it ought to be. And you must be able to say, here is the answer, or this is what I think, let me get some assistance. Let me ask uh, the pastor over at the Very Lutheran Project for a little bit of clarification. It also says, let them be tested first. People should be asking you questions to make sure you are the real deal. Do not resent people asking questions or making critiques. You must be tested. Now, if you don't have people that are confident testing you as a deacon, well, get into contact with me. I can assist with that. And I promise I'm not a mean test giver. But at the end of the day, you must be confident in your faith and you must be capable. And if you have a wife, if you are married, she also must be dignified, not a slanderer. She must be sober and faithful. If a wife is not any of those things, well, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's going to cause problems for this small congregation that you're starting out. If you have a wife, she, like you, must be of high moral character. And this leads us to the second question and objection. But pastor, you say, I am a sinner. Well, my response to that is, so am I. But I am still qualified to be a pastor. I still go out, though, and confess my sins, and I still strive to be a better person. These qualifications for deacons on the moral side of things are important, yes, so long as you understand that they are not so absolute that one infraction means you are fired. If we held a strict standard of perfection from our deacons, lay leaders, our pastors, our ushers, even people out there just attending, if we held that standard of perfection, for everybody working in the church, then nobody can work in the church. Nobody can do anything for ministry because we're all disqualified. But you should be confessing your sins. You should be seeking to be a better person. Take an active role in your sanctification in cooperation with the Holy Spirit so that more and more over time, you are more and more qualified. Maybe you meet the bare minimum now. But over time, you will be better and better and better equipped as a servant of God Almighty. That is incredibly important. We need to clear that up. I don't expect a deacon to be perfect, 
nobody starting a house church should. But he should be confident. And he should be confident that he's working on greater confidence in his faith, his knowledge of the faith, and his ability to execute his office. And now that's going to lead us to the question of, well, what exactly do I do? What do I got to do to be prepared? Well, in terms of education, what I'm first going to say is, there's a few books that I would like you to peruse, that I would like you to read, if you want to go through me at least. A big important one is the basic writings of the Book of Concord. You should know your small catechism, your Augsburg Confession, your large catechism, the important things. And yes, the epitome of the formula of Concord. It's good to be able to reference the longer documents in the Book of Concord. It's good to know what's in there and to have read it at some point. But chances are you're just not going to hear from a member of your congregation, hey, I heard this thing from a Schwenkfelder. Could you help me with my Schwenkfelder friend? <laughs> He's trying to get me to join his Schwenkfelder church. Oh my goodness, that's such a fun word. No, chances are it's going to be sufficient to be able to warn people against enthusiasm rather than getting into the hyper-specifics of the longer documents. Again, good to know them. Sometimes these things come up. Not 100% necessary to be qualified to be a deacon in the Catacomb Synod. But there is another little book, pretty easy to read, that ought to be perused and read and known because we are not just confessional Lutherans, we are confessional pietist Lutherans. It is incredibly important, at least as far as I'm concerned, that people read the Pia Desideria by Spener. Pia Desideria is what gave birth to Lutheran pietism. It is incredibly important because we have all forgotten that. And Spener avoids the excesses of pietism that happened later on. He avoids some of the kookiness and the craziness that happened as people tried to get into holiness contests. It was never his intention. In fact, Spener was fully confessional. So I feel like it is a good idea. While we don't agree with everything Spanner taught, I'm going to have to do an audio series on his book at some point. I don't agree with absolutely everything he taught, but he does teach the right mindset that we should be Christians that obey God to the best of our ability. Now that we are saved by grace through faith alone, it is incumbent on us to do our best to obey God and to do the necessary self-reflection to see how can I improve. Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, I was created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means I should expect that outcome in my life. And I should do my best to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in becoming a better Christian in being more devoted to God in spending more time with his word. We can't forget that Spanner is actually crucial also to house churches because he was the guy that invented the home Bible study. Pretty much nobody was doing that until Spanner came along and said, y'all should be reading the Bible together. Even outside of church, you should be together exploring God's word and diving deep into the treasures that he has for us. 
And I understand a lot of Lutherans, they get a little quaky at that because like, if I read the Bible independently of what my pastor says, he'll, he'll report me to the CTCR and have them whip me to correct me. No, everybody should be reading scripture together. I don't care about what the CTCR says. Anyway, so we have the basic writings of the Book of Concord. We have Pia Desideria, or Pious Desires, by Philip Jacob Spanner. These are two things I would say you really ought to read for the sake of the Catacomb Synod and for your house church. And in addition to that, this is going to sound very, very specific. Solution-Focused Pastoral Counseling. It's by Charles Allen Kolar, K-O-L-L-A-R. I personally believe this is a book that is worth its weight in gold. The Bible is 100% sufficient for learning counseling, but it is good to seek out wisdom on the topic and to hear somebody else who has taken the biblical precedent for solutions, see what people have done in history to try to apply the scriptures to pastoral counseling, and go from there. This is a book where somebody actually did that. They compare what the Word of God says to the techniques that people have done in the past, and they say, well, here's a great short-term method. As a deacon or as a lay leader, people are going to look at you and say, okay, this is a spiritual authority. Yes, he's the guy that's running the liturgy. Good. But that means I should also be able to speak to him if I have an issue. Remember, as a deacon, you are the one waiting on tables. You are the one that is going to be consecrating the elements in the Eucharist, performing baptisms. You are going to be the one that people look at for absolution. They might go to you for private confession and absolution. And you should say yes. And they might go to you saying, hey, I got a problem. I need your help. Could you assist me in fixing this problem that I have, whether it's a personal issue or they need some strategies financially or something, whatever the case may be, having this book, Solution-Focused Pastoral Counseling from Zondervan, is a treasure. And I know somebody's going to go, why aren't you doing it with Concordia? Well, look, I've got years and years now of pastoral counseling experience. I'm just sharing with you what I think works best. Now, that said, we have the books that I think you ought to read to help you be more equipped to be a deacon. But now somebody might ask, what do I do on Sunday mornings? How is that supposed to look? Well, if you have access to a printer, you can print out the liturgies, a copy for each member of the home congregation. You can be the one to print out the sermons that I'm providing and either read them out loud or have them played on audio. Maybe you'll have to get some good speakers so people can hear. And then if you are having communion, we'll have to get into that a little bit later, but having a chalice, having the right wine and the correct bread, whether that is homemade leavened bread or uh, unleavened bread, I don't care. People have their preferences and their own theological significances for either fine, whatever, so long as we do it according to Christ's word. So you might have to have a makeshift altar. 
something homemade or something you ordered or even using your dining room table or your countertop as an altar. Jesus did not say you have to have the prettiest altar in the world, but out of respect and reverence for our Lord Christ, it should be clean, it should be ready. There's plenty of YouTube videos on how we do communion, and you could do that in a high church setting where you have the little plates, you have the cloth, you have everything set up in the right order and the correct way of looking, or you can do it as the pietist Lutheran churches did where it's very, very bare bones. You have the wine, you have the chalice, you have the cups, you have the bread on a plate. However you do it, make sure to have it set up if you are having a communion Sunday. Do you need to dress in any specific special way to be a deacon on Sunday morning? That depends on you, and it depends on your house church. Do they want a high church service where they want you to order an alb and a stole? And oh yes, a stole. You might not be an ordained reverend yet. I know some guys that are looking to be an ordained pastor in the catacomb synod. That's perfectly fine. But even as a deacon, remember, people are looking to you as a spiritual authority, and the stole is a sign of that for people that want high church. If they prefer lower church or more in the pietist Lutheran tradition, then business casual is going to be the name of the game for you. Dress nicely. Nobody wants a deacon that makes a mockery of the faith by wearing his swim trunks and flippy floppies and his bodybuilding stringer tank top. Lord forbid us from ever spitting on his worship service that way. And so you would be running the service. You would be the one speaking in the non-bolded lines in the liturgy that I have provided. If you'd prefer to use your own liturgy or a hymnal or something from another era, perfectly fine. It depends on the house church and it depends on you. But you are a leader for this house church. You are going to be the closest spiritual authority for them. Remember that. That is a grave responsibility. And it's a good thing. It is absolutely full of joy to be there for people, to love your neighbor as Christ loves your neighbor in this way. But it can be a little hard. So I do recommend taking offering every Sunday. I do believe that house churches should reward and do some recompense for their deacon or their lay leader. And if it turns out that people want to bring an offering to the very Lutheran project, if they want to make a donation from the proceeds of their tithes, well, I do hope they're also paying you. But you might need somebody to act as treasurer if you feel as though you cannot be trusted to handle all that money. Otherwise, if they say, hey, this is all yours, good, great on you. <laughs> Just pocket it. If they say, we want this to be for projects, for helping one another out, for helping one of our guys get a job, or uh, taking a trip out to hopefully get a girlfriend or a wife for one of our guys, it is your responsibility to help them out in that. So, Maybe you need a treasurer. You can ask for help where you feel insufficient here. But ultimately, that should be something that people do on Sunday to assist. But until then, 
remember that you've got freedom. Next week, we are going to look at how to run a Bible study. As a deacon, you are going to be charged with that, and I am certain that nobody wants to just sit at a table with their Bibles open and play audio from me doing the Bible studies. What I'm doing is more of a cue for people to utilize and springboard off of in their Bible studies. Again, it'll be up to you, but we're going to go into some detail on how to run a Bible study for everybody's benefit after the Sunday service or on a Wednesday night Bible study or something like that. It's up to you. So we will take a look at that next week. And if anybody has any questions whatsoever, please, please, please do not hesitate to shoot me a message. But until then, I will catch you all next week. Amen and amen.